So every January, we do basically the same thing. If this is your first January to experience our church, well, every January, we cover the foundational principles of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means for us to be a church. And so every January, I'm looking for new ways to talk about the exact same things as before, but uh, to get us a new perspective or new angle on it, things like that. And this last week, I was kind of really thinking through, praying through what we should be talking about, and I realized for the first time, and this really surprised me, I had never really thought of this before, but I realized for the first time that there is a metaphor that Jesus uses for an individual Christian's life, and the same metaphor for the life of the church, the people who are collectively the body of Christ in this world. Jesus uses the same metaphor for both things, for both the individual and for the group. And I thought that was fascinating. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that metaphor today in a little bit more detail. And then over the next couple of weeks, throughout the rest of January, we're going to look at different aspects of it in different layers to try to understand what is the foundation that Jesus wants for our lives. And then the first Sunday in February, like we usually do, we're going to have what we call Commitment Sunday. And that's when we reaffirm our commitment to Jesus and reaffirm our commitment to each other. That's a great Sunday for us to express other kinds of commitments that we want to make. If, if you've never made a commitment of faith to Jesus before, or if you've never been baptized, then Commitment Sunday would be a great Sunday for you to celebrate baptism with us. Commitment Sunday would be a great Sunday for a baby dedication or for a person to just say, hey, I want to be a member of this fellowship. That's a fabulous thing that we do the first Sunday in February, and we're going to build up to it through January. But it begins with these two verses that share the same metaphor. I'll go ahead and put them up on the screen here. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 7. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is Jesus talking. And it's at the end of a, a message that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives this long three-chapter message about kind of the morality of humanity, what we should be doing in relationship to our God in heaven who is our Father who loves us and cares for us. And at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, his final thing is to tell a little story where rock becomes a metaphor for the solid foundation for our lives. Jesus says, the person who does what I've said is like a person who's built his house on a rock. And he tells this story. We're going to look at it in just a little bit. But the same metaphor shows up later on in Matthew. Later on, Jesus will say to Peter, Peter, who do people think that I am? And Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter by saying these words. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We're going to look at this passage in a little bit more detail today, but much more detail in two weeks. But Jesus uses the same metaphor, the rock, to be the foundation for an individual human person's life and for the collective life of the thing we call the church. 
And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is to analyze this metaphor. We're going to ask some questions about this metaphor, like what is the rock? What does it mean to build on the rock? Uh, what does it mean for us collectively to build on a rock? These are sorts of the questions that we're going to be dealing with and the different layers of what it means for me to have a solid foundation. But I'm going to start by looking in more depth in the story Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount with. The story in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus talks about this person who builds his house on the rock. Here it is. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Keep going, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Um, I told you that my preferred natural disaster is earthquakes. Um, I was really disappointed in the summer of 2019 my family was doing this road trip. We were driving through the amazing world of God's creation in the Dakotas, and we saw, you know, Mount Rushmore, and we, saw, we went through Yellowstone. We made our way over to Oregon and in Washington, and we drove down the coast in California, and we just saw some amazing parts of God's creation. And on the day we were driving in California to my parents' place, there was an earthquake that hit near Santa Barbara when we were probably 10 miles from the epicenter on the freeway. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but in truth, when you are driving in a car, you can't feel an earthquake. Unless the earthquake is so, so bad that the road itself just falls away from you, the road noise from the car and all the vibration of the car overshadows the vibration that you would feel in an earthquake. And so we were on the road driving when an earthquake hit, and after we stopped, I learned that an earthquake had hit, and I was so incredibly disappointed. I cannot tell you how sad I felt. Because A, I really wanted my family to experience as much of California as they possibly could. And particularly, I want everybody in my life to experience an earthquake and realize they're not that bad. You see, my favorite earthquake ever was a Sunday morning when I was a teenager in California. And I remember it was like 4.30 in the morning, something like that. And I was no longer delivering papers. And so I didn't have to wake up super early on Sunday morning because I had been a paper boy. But this one particular Sunday at like 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning, all of a sudden I'm awake and the entire house is buzzing. And when I say buzzing, I mean it was making a buzzing sound. The entire house is going like zzzz, And the ground underneath me was doing something, but I couldn't tell because I was in a waterbed. And all I knew was there was noises. And so I'm like, what is happening here? So I rolled out of bed and I did what I had been trained to do, which is to stand in a doorway. So I opened up my closet and I stood in the doorway during this earthquake and it lasted about two minutes 
So imagine, for 120 consecutive seconds, you're standing there, having just been awakened from basically the middle of the night, you're standing in the door frame, and the whole house is kind of buzzing and vibrating and shaking, and you can hear things kind of rattling around on shelves, you can hear uh, like a fan, a ceiling fan in the next room kind of shaking around and making noises and stuff, and I was totally fine. The house was totally fine. I'm just experiencing natural Disney World. You know, just a, the, a ride. I'm, just, I'm a, just along for the ride. That day was so cool. Um, and I got to tell you that because, like, we had 12 aftershocks or something that day. It was the Big Bear quake, if you ever look it up online. I'm pretty sure that was the one it was. And and so that morning, the church, my dad was in the church building when one of the aftershocks hit, and we had this giant chandelier hanging down from the ceiling. And while my dad was in the sanctuary, in the auditorium of the church, and the, and the aftershock hit, the chandelier started bouncing up and down like this. And so he decided, we're not going to have people sitting under the chandelier today. Instead, we're going to go across the parking lot to the fellowship hall, and we're going to have our church, church service over there in the fellowship hall. And so that morning, we were in the fellowship hall for both of our worship gatherings, and we still had normal church, but we'd sort of rearranged things a little bit, and we're in the fellowship hall. And we had like two aftershocks during church. You know, it's like my dad is preaching up a storm, and next thing you know, the lights are out, and the whole room is shaking, and people are going, oh. Now, no one's screaming because, see, in California, no one screams at an earthquake because it's just, it's just normal. But, so it's not like you're seeing it on a movie. Or it's just people in the room are like, ooh, uh, you know, it's ooh-ah kind of thing. And so the lights eventually come back on, and my dad finishes his message, and we had a great day. And then aftershocks for a couple days after that. But it was just so much fun. I kid you not, I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was great. Tornadoes, on the other hand, scare the dickens out of me. I am freaked out. Like an earthquake can affect a hundred miles in each direction and everybody experiences it. But a a tornado, only one house is going to get it and that house is going to get it. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe a, a city, maybe a town, depending on how that, but the tornadoes scare me completely. And one of the big differences is that in California, for an earthquake, all you need is a good solid slab underneath your house. Because if the slab underneath your house is solid, then the earth can do whatever kind of vibration it wants to do under that, and the slab is holding everything together. Here in the Midwest, if you want to survive a tornado you got to dig down into the ground, baby, and you got to go deep, and you got to spend all the money it takes to get yourself a basement, and we didn't get a basement when we built our house out here, and so every time there's a tornado, I'm just a little bit freaking out. I'm just a little bit scared. I would definitely take an earthquake over a tornado any day, but here's the real truth. The thing that makes the difference in either the earthquake or the tornado is what's underneath the house. It's what's underneath the house that makes the difference in either of those cases. And Jesus tells this story about a guy who builds his house on a rock and another guy who builds his house on sand. But the thing you need to realize is Jesus says, okay, no matter who you are, you are going to be building something. 
Both of these guys are building houses, right? No matter who you are, you're going to be building something. And no matter who you are, you're going to experience a storm. You're going to experience some kind of natural disaster. No matter where you live on this planet, you can't get away from it, whether it's a volcano or a hurricane or whatever. No matter where you live, there's always going to be something that can hit you out of the blue. If you're taking notes, write this down. Storms come to everyone. But only some fall. Some don't fall. Storms come to everyone, but some people don't fall. Over these last couple of years, we've experienced a variety of different storms. And we've seen a variety of people fall in a variety of different ways. And maybe you yourself felt like a few times you have fallen in a few different ways over the past couple of years. But Jesus says this story to give us a promise where he says there's a thing you can do to make sure that when the storm comes, you don't fall. And just to reiterate, he says this. This is the third time we've put it up here on the screen today. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, there are two things that form the foundation. Jesus' words are the foundation. Okay? See, what he's saying is you have to to hear my words and do them. And, And when you're doing them, you are putting your house on the foundation. Jesus' words are the foundation to build on. That's the the first thing that we need to realize. His words are the foundation that we need to build on. But someone has to do some building. Does that make sense? Jesus' words are the foundation to build on, but someone has to do the building. The way I would phrase it is, I must do some building. Now, this is a little bit interesting because... um, I've been in churches for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a pastor a long time. I've been a Christian a long time. And I've been in church longer than either of those other two things. And in my time in church, I have run across a particular kind of debate that shows up time and time again. It's a debate that generally gets phrased with the words faith versus works. Maybe you've heard that debate before. And it basically boils down to this. Some people will say, well, wait a minute. Um, It doesn't matter what you do. All you need to do is ask Jesus for forgiveness, and he will forgive you for your sins. And you can can then get into heaven. He can save you. And, And the people who say that are speaking the truth. Jesus doesn't need you to prove anything to him. He already died for you. He already is ready to forgive you of anything. All of your sin is paid for. All you need to do is receive it. And when you receive it, the promise of eternal life is yours. The people who would say it's about your faith, they're right. However, there's another group of people who would say, but wait a minute, if you actually believe something, you're going to live it. If you actually believe something, you're going to let it change you. Or they might point to passages where Jesus would say, if you love me, you will do what I've commanded you. And those people are right also. 
It's not just enough to say, hey, I have a thought in my head about Jesus. It's important that the thought in your head about Jesus results in following Jesus. Jesus didn't say, learn my words and you'll have a foundation for your life. Jesus said, learn my words and build on them. The one who knows my words and does what they say. So it's one thing to know that Jesus' words are the foundation. It's another thing to realize that I have to do some work of building on them. Now, I got to let you know that when Jesus is saying this, he is not talking about some doctrinal thing of how you get into heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say the one guy's going to build a house and when the storms come, he goes to heaven. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about pragmatic, everyday, ordinary life kind of stuff. He's talking about the kind of stability that a storm comes and you're still standing. He's talking about the kind of stability that all of us long for, that all of us want, that I want for me, that I want for you, that I want for all of us. I'd love for us to be the kind of people who no matter what happens out there in the world and no no matter what happens in my world, I can still stand strong with Jesus and be like, okay, so that's going on, but I'm still good. Like that's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of stability and strength I want for me and it's what I want for you. It's what I want for us together. But here's the thing. Jesus is speaking pragmatically and if you want that kind of stability, if you want that kind of stable life, if I want that kind of stable life, I have to do what Jesus says. If I want a stable life, I have to do what Jesus says. It's one thing to learn what Jesus says, but that's not what builds the house on a rock. See, a lot of times what we do is something like this. We learn that the rock is out there. We learn what Jesus said. We pay attention to what Jesus said. And so we know the rock is out there. And we say, oh, that's a pretty rock. That's a really good-looking rock. I love to wake up in the morning and see the sunset, uh, sunrise come up behind the rock, and I just look at how pretty and beautiful that rock looks over there. It's just so wonderful. One of these days, I think to myself, wouldn't it be nice to have a house near that rock or on that rock? But you know what? That takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of effort. In order to put a house on a rock, it's not like pouring concrete where it's liquid and then it hardens. To put your house on a rock, you've got to use things like dynamite and, and chisels and stuff, and you've got to dig down into it so that now you can firmly attach your life to this. That takes effort. That takes work. And so a lot of us love the rock. We think the rock is great. It's a wonderful idea, but it's just easier to build over here on this sand. And Jesus would say, if you want the stable life, you need to do what he says. Now, that's a pretty fascinating kind of thing, because who would have thought that one of the core principles about following Jesus is to actually do what he said? It's kind of ironic to me that in my own heart, I think following Jesus can be optional. I think doing what he says can be optional. 
I call myself a Jesus follower. I look to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm grateful for all the work that he has done to bring forgiveness into my life. And yet still, there's a part of me that thinks about something Jesus says. And then when I begin to apply it to my life, I'm like, yeah, I can do it my own way. But if I want the stable life, I need to do what Jesus says. Over the next month, and in fact over the next year, and in fact hopefully for the rest of my life, I will be asking myself and you to actually do the things Jesus says. We're going to look at some things that Jesus says this month. Things that Jesus says about an individual person. Things Jesus says about the group of people he calls the church. Things that Jesus says about how our relationship with the world should look. I'm going to read some things. We're going to talk about some things that Jesus says. And I'm going to ask you to actually do them. And I'm going to ask myself to actually do them. Because guess what? I'm sick and tired of instability. I'm sick and tired of a life that can sometimes be knocked over when the world around me gets a little bit too in my face. I want the kind of stable life that comes from living what Jesus actually says. And I'm not talking about living according to the principles that some guy out there told you Jesus wanted you to do. You know, I'm not talking about some principle where someone said, hey, this is Jesus's morality and you need to take that morality and you need to do that morality and then you need to push that morality on all kinds of other people. I'm saying, no, let's go, go right back to the source. What does Jesus say? Let's do that. What does Jesus say? Let's do that. So I'm going to be asking you to do that with me. But that's not the only rock that we're looking at today. There's a rock for my own personal life, but there's this other rock that we already looked at. I want to read you that passage in its context. This one comes from Matthew chapter 16, and we pick it up when Jesus is entering a town, when he's coming to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, that's also interesting because son of man is a phrase that Jesus used for himself. And son of man was a biblical Old Testament title that meant two things. It meant the savior of the world and it meant God in the flesh. It meant both of those things in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus uses the phrase son of man for himself, he's kind of giving away the answer. But because the people around him didn't understand what he meant by son of man, He can ask this question and it still works. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And there he admits, I'm the one calling myself Son of Man. But still, they need to figure it out for themselves a little bit. So we come to the next thing. Simon Peter is the first one to put his foot in his mouth. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's right. Sometimes Peter gets it right. And Jesus says as much to him. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, Simon, look at this. You got a question right. I just want to remind you, Simon, you didn't get it right because you, you got it right because God gave you the answer. You cheater. Jesus says, God gave you that answer right before it came out of your mouth, so don't take credit for that, Simon. And uh, well, uh, I, sometimes Peter, I think, might get a puffed up head, as we would see later on in this passage in a couple weeks, but we'll just keep reading. Anyway, so he gets it right. Jesus says, and I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. Now, I'm going to unpack this passage for us in two weeks when we talk a little bit more in detail about the church family that we're supposed to be together. Uh, perhaps three weeks from now, I think, is the actual, is the actual week we're going to be doing that. And so I'm going to be dealing with that a little bit more in a couple weeks. But um, for today, I want to focus on one tiny little idea. If you've been filling in the blanks, you've seen something already. What you've seen already is that I need to build my life on the foundation that is Jesus and his words. I have the job to do. It's called building. But if you paid attention in this last passage we just read, the person doing the building is different. Jesus said, I will build my church. In other words, Jesus is going to build his church himself. Now that's interesting. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. As you keep reading in the passage, Jesus will begin to tell people that he's going to be crucified. And if he's going to be killed, how in the world can he build anything? And then he comes back to life, but then he leaves the earth. So how in the world can Jesus build anything? And so sometimes we overlook this. But the big issue, the big point is that Jesus says there is a foundation that he himself is going to be building on. And that foundation will be the thing that he builds his church on. Okay. So let's think through this a little bit logically. There's one more thing I want to point out, and that is the definition of church, which is important. Um, the church, when Jesus uses the word, is a very popular Greek word. It's the same word that could be translated congregation or assembly or something along those lines. Now, we have some technical words in our society that mean roughly the same thing. Um, words like conference or words like congress or things like that. And every time you hear the word conference, what you probably think of is a large gathering of people who share some sort of common membership interest, who have gathered together for some sort of purpose to either learn or begin to do something. When you think of Congress, you think of a large group of people who have been appointed to some job by other people who now come together and are supposed to get something done, whether they ever do or not, it's, you know, up, that's neither here nor there, but they're supposed to get something done. When you hear the word church, you should hear the exact same things because Jesus used a Greek word called ekklesia that basically meant a group of people with a specific membership and a specific mission. Uh, the way I would phrase it is that the church we can just define as followers who are following together on a mission. Followers who are following together on a mission. Now, all of this is really important to me. As a pastor who moved to Lafayette with my family to get a church started, sometimes I am tempted to think of this church 
as something that I have built, am building, or am supposed to build. Sometimes, and and I'm not talking about the building itself, I'm talking about the, the group of people that we would call the followers who are following together on a mission. But there's this sense that I have sometimes that it's my responsibility, it's my job, and it's therefore also my fault if something goes wrong, or my success if something goes right. It's my temptation to think that the church is something that I'm building. It's also my temptation to sometimes think, well, I can't possibly build the church. The church isn't me. The church is us. We are the people who are supposed to be building the church. And therefore, my job as a leader in the church is to motivate you to do your part in building the church. And therefore, if the church has some sort of success, then I can be happy with you. And if the church has some sort of not so much success, then I can blame all of you. And in none of those cases is any of that good. Because Jesus himself said, none y'all gonna build the church. He's the one who's building the church. He's building his church. It's not me, it's not you, it's not even us. He is the one building the church. But Here's the interesting thing. The same metaphor is being used in both places, right? There's a rock that Jesus will build his church on, and there's a rock that I need to build my life on, right? And so the way you put these two things together is that I need to be a person who's building my life on Jesus, right? And you need to be a person who's building your life on Jesus, And the more of us who get together, who are followers following together, the more we are building our lives on the rock of Jesus and what he says, and and the more we do that, the more the church gets built. Because the church is just followers following together on a mission. So I'll phrase it this way. My job, I follow Jesus with others who follow Jesus, and Jesus builds the church. I follow Jesus with others who follow Jesus, and Jesus builds the church. So as we think through this new year, as we think through this month where we are reevaluating, rediscovering, rediscussing our core values as a church and our core values as individual people, I'm going to tell you the fundamental principle of what it means to even be a church. The fundamental principle of what it means to be a church is that each and every one of us tries to be a Christian. Each and every one of us tries to follow Jesus. If you're following Jesus, then you're building your life on a rock. If I'm following, if I'm following Jesus, then I'm building my life on a rock. If we're following Jesus together, then we're building our life on a rock. And as we are doing our work of building ourselves on the rock, Jesus has a church that gets built on the rock. Our job is to be individuals following Jesus, and then to be individuals following Jesus together and then get to watch what Jesus does. Get to watch the miracles he produces. As we think of taking this idea home with us, I've put it together in a phrase that says this, let's follow Jesus together and watch him build his church. The world right now more than ever, 
needs the stability that only comes from following Jesus' words. Our world more than ever needs to see a true picture of who Jesus really is. Our world more than ever needs to understand the security of heaven and the responsibilities of earth. Our world more than ever needs to feel the comfort of the Spirit of God at work in our hearts. But guess what? My heart is very, very broken because more than ever in my life, our world is less interested in the church. More than ever, our world has decided that the church is irrelevant. Every single year, statistics come out with more and more people who say they are not interested in Christianity, but even more than that, not interested in the church, interested in the organization of followers following Jesus. And it's because too many of the followers who are supposed to be following Jesus have decided to follow something else. And too many of the followers who are supposed to be following Jesus are following some agenda, some aim, some other thing. And so as a result, too many people are following these things. And then the outsiders say, but all those people are following things I don't want to follow. And so since they're all following things I don't want to follow, I don't want to be with them. I'd rather be out here. And one of these days I might find Jesus. And one of these days I might find the rock. One of these days I might be able to build my house on something firm, something solid. But I don't want to do it with those people because those people aren't following the thing that is the rock. And all of our things as, as churches and, and people, what we desperately need to be is the same thing the world desperately needs to see. We need to be followers following Jesus. We need to be people building our lives on the rock so that our church can be built on the rock so that the people around us can say, holy cow, I need stability like that. Holy cow, I need relationships like that. I need to be in that group of people. And so I'm 100% convinced that as I follow and we follow, Jesus builds and we get to see something amazing. But it begins with us being people who are absolutely committed to following Jesus. So I'm calling you to it. I'm calling you for 2022 to renew your commitment to be a follower of Jesus. I'm calling you for 2022 to renew your commitment to be a follower of Jesus with followers of Jesus. And then I'm calling you for 2022 to pray with bold anticipation to see Jesus build his church in some fantastic way in our midst. We have no idea what it's going to look like. We have no idea what Jesus might do. But if you're following Jesus and I'm following Jesus and we're following him together, something really amazing is going to happen. And I can't wait to see it. So we're going to, we're going to pursue that this year. I want to give you just a few moments to spend some time in prayer and to say, Jesus, what is it going to mean for me to follow you wholeheartedly this year? Jesus, what is it going to mean for me to follow you wholeheartedly with other people this year? And then to spend some time just boldly praying that you would see his church get built in some amazing way, even in our community. Then we're going to close with a final song after that, just asking for God to to do what we know he can already do. But let's take a moment of silence as we listen to him. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you 
Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.